Well, hello, Holly. Hi, Dave. What's going on? Hey, welcome, everybody, everybody, all of you, to What Difference Does It Make? Yes, all of you, meaning you're probably listening by yourself, right? <laughs> Do you listen to podcasts by yourself? Right, it's not a group listening experience. Although it'd be fun. No, Everyone gather around the, the... It's a podcast listening party? Sure. We're going to have to do that. When's our next... We're going to have to have a podcast listening party. Yes. <laughs> come one, come all. All right. Our, our first uh, person that we would invite is our person... Our over guest! Here. We yes, have a guest! We, we do have a guest. All right, Holly, this is your guest, so take the lead, please. I'm so excited. This is our guest, but I am so excited to have J.C. Douglas... J.C. Douglas is one-third of the morning show on uh, C100 in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Mm -hmm. But he has a long and storied career. Mm, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Sure. Can I talk about can, your long and storied career, or would that? you like to talk about your no, long no, and storied career? No, no, you go career? ahead. I'm, I'm going to enjoy listening to it. All right, All right. set set the uh, the base, and then okay. we'll have J.C. We'll, uh, can we call you J.C.? Yeah, we'll, that's good. Sure. I mean, that that was in the... <laughs> As opposed to Mr. Mr. Douglas. Douglas? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes, Okay. <laughs> You were out for a long time at Q104 in Halifax, mm -hmm. 27 years? Yep. And you were the program director? For 14 of them, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, first of all, where is Halifax? Where the hell is Halifax? I, can you point it out on a map? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Why'd you bring a map? Of Sorry, that's Bangladesh. Right, <laughs> as far right as I can go. <laughs> I don't even know what, what time zone is that in. It's got its own little time zone uh, that you don't know about. It's uh, it's one to the east of Eastern Time. It's called Atlantic Time. I know you're four hours away. That's so what makes it so difficult. It's really it's four. the same uh, time zone as Rio de Janeiro. Ah, convenient. Ah. When my baby and the same mindset. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. Okay. So, so okay. <laughs> so fourteen years as so, program director. Yeah, it's in Nova Scotia, which is a little uh, almost an island off the uh, east coast of Canada, and uh, and we're the uh, the far eastern part of Canada, which is often forgotten by the central and and western parts of Canada. But we're out there, and uh, and and Q one hundred four in Halifax as a rock station that you know it kind of came about in the early eighties. You know, trailing behind the trends of the world, uh, but finally they had their own rock station as of the early 80s, and, and it proliferated. Rock stations proliferated from there, but uh, it was able to be influential in its hub of maritime Canadian provinces, like four Canadian provinces there, so... And you started out as a jock, as a disc jockey, and uh, and became program director. And spent a little time. Uh, did you do the overnights to start out, or how, I did? did you, yeah, oh. back in the days when there were overnight shows. Are there even overnight shows in L.A. No. anymore? No, not at all. Not so, many, anyway. Well, nah, That's I don't think sure. so. Because um, where do people get their start now? Exactly. <laughs> so well, you're, they tend was your... to start in promotional uh, uh, street yes. teams now. But I mean, yes. uh, on air, you want to you know, work on your craft for hours every day. So overnight shows were great. Yeah. Work my way up. Let's, let's talk about some of that craft, that, the yeah. overnight craft that you developed. <laughs> oh, my God. Overnights were amazing. I mean, I only did them for like a few months because I was doing weekend evenings and working in the production department. But uh, um, overnights were the time when it was only drunk people on the phone and you could just kind of have fun doing whatever you wanted to do, especially in a station that was kind of free formish for its day in the mid-'80s still. Kind of one of the last of that. Uh, I mean, there weren't you know many stations even in L.A. Maybe uh, KLOS had a little taste of that. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. and well, back in the day, KMET. Yeah, back in the day, yeah. yeah but by the mid '80s, I mean I formats know. had pretty much taken over everywhere. Um, there wasn't much left in New York either. Yeah, so so we were kind of just getting that out of our systems in the uh, mid '80s, which uh, we'd never had a chance to broadcast in that part of the world. Well, that's a fun time to to start. Yeah. You know, yeah. like in oh, mid '80s. Yeah. That, that sure. was, that's when your career launched. Was it always radio? Oh my God! Yeah. Yeah, from the earliest. Uh, you took a break, didn't you? You took a break from radio. Oh, oh, oh! I, uh, yeah, I just thought you meant from like if it was yeah, me. The, the oh, we always madly but, uh, in love with. Yeah, radio. madly in love with radio. Yeah, I took a, like, a quick a quick break, a year and a bit, and hosted a television show in Halifax, and then I went back as program director of Q one hundred four, and because um, TV's going down the dump. No oh yeah, there's no future there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're really it's debatable whether there is radio. a future there yeah <laughs> and uh and then, and then uh eventually i i left to go back on the air worked at a and a classic hit station and then they uh, uh i got an offer from c100 which was q104's longtime uh nemesis and uh went there to do the morning show about five years ago and it's been all roses all roses yeah it's been great <laughs> actually in the market we're second to q104 at this point we had built q104 into this behemoth of a of a number one station so now we're trying to chisel away as the opposition to it but, is it uh, still a rock station q104? it is it's been a rock station from day one yeah and c100's kind of been an adult 
contemporary station, uh, kind of an adult top 40 station. And, and at one point, it was more of a, a lighter album rock station up against Q104's heavier album rock thing. So now we're an adult uh, top 40, and it's... Uh, it's a different experience for me. <laughs> so, okay, talking about music, we were talking a, a little bit off pre, pre-podcast, mm-hmm. but I'm curious what your personal preference for music mm. is. It's funny because uh, you know my we were talking about our graduation year, and if you're graduated from high school in '83, '84, <laughs> of course that's your era of glory, right? Yep, mm, always. As yeah. we know, we are. <laughs> 84 was the best year, right? 83 was the best year. No, 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 no. Come oh, 83 on. for sure. What? <laughs> See? All right. I'm, two to one. I'm two to th- You're outnumbered. <laughs> it's not two to three. It's uh, two to I, one. Oh, my God. I'm bad at math. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and there's tons of uh, 80s music that I love, of course. I mean, I was going to all the concerts and, and you know, I was in on- Ontario at the time in my formative years. So I saw a lot of concerts and uh, great concerts in Toronto. That's where concerts stopped in, in, in Canada. They didn't go any further east yeah. than Toronto. So we didn't say, well, Montreal. But, uh, uh, we didn't see, uh, you know, all the great ones uh, down east. Over time, we eventually got them. I was totally into the music scene, of course, of the day. Um, but I also was taking a good long look backwards and uh, had some uh, influences leading me towards the 60s and 70s and kind of catching up on what I'd missed mm. from my childhood when I, when I was forced to listen to the you know, Bay City Rollers records and stuff like that by my sister. No one is forced to listen to them. People listen to the Bay City Rollers by choosing. That was my first concert. Okay. Yeah, actually, no, I'm, I'm right there with it. I met but, Les McEwen at uh, at a gig at the casino down in the Nova Scotia a few years ago. Hang out, hung out backstage with him. He was fabulous. Hung out backstage with David Cassidy too, which was really kind of cool. Mm. He was very nice. I, I'd heard he could not be so wonderful, but he was he was very charming. And uh, and of course, my sister was also a big uh, Donny Osmond fan. So you know, all the influences of the older sister. Sorry, mm-hmm. that was actually my first album. I think I was. Mm. Seven, Donny Osmond Superstar. <laughs> right. yes, so yes, we are of the same, wow. of the same I'm ass- era. I'm assuming all this will be edited out. We have to redo our entire podcast because this whole series, you've been saying that the, the Bay City Rollers was your first show. The Bay now- City Rollers was my first show. Donny Osmond Superstar was my first album. Okay. Okay. Just to clarify. All right. I'm not familiar with the Superstar album. but uh, Okay. So first album. Let's go with that. What oh, was God. your first album that, that you I bought? Ever bought? Yeah. I think it was, was um, oh God, I hate saying this, but I think it was Foreigner's Double Vision album. That is a great album. Why would you hate saying that? <laughs> no, it's, it is a good album. And, it, it, you know, their first two albums I thought were, even in retrospect, they're slightly cheesy, but they're, uh, there's some really good, as a matter of fact, there's a great love song on uh, the Double Vision album that never got any radio play that I sang at a friend's wedding one time. Um Love is taking Love its toll. Love is taking its toll. Yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> See, everything. Uh, never well. knew a man could be so lonely. And love could treat a man so, life could treat a man so wrong. But when the odds were all against me, you gave me the strength <laughs> to carry on. Edit that out. Nope. Was, <laughs> no chance. I was going in. My radio memory of uh, of Double Vision is I actually won tickets. That was my second Seriously? concert. I won tickets to see Foreigner with Walter Egan at the Forum. Oh, my God. Yeah. And uh, my dad took me. <laughs> And uh, that was quite an experience. I went and I had to go to the bathroom and I experienced, you know, I was like 12 years old. Like, oh, my God, there's a lot of there's a lot of it's really <laughs> smoky in, in this. <laughs> yeah. What's going on? And this is crazy. Why do I feel funny? What's going on? <laughs> hey, <laughs> now, Dad. Did, it was in L.A. So did uh, did Stevie Nicks show up to sing background on Walter Egan stuff? Oh, I figured she would oh, yeah, make a special oh, That would have been great. No, all I remember about Walter Egan is whoever was the backup singers, they were on roller skates. This was totally oh sad. <laughs> they were on wow. roller skates, like roller skating back and forth on the stage. That's, That's my awesome. Walter Egan memory. That is 70s. You might have remembered if Stevie Nicks had shown up. I probably would have remembered that. But yeah. yeah. So anyway, I did. I was, you know, collar 20 and I won tickets. That's fantastic. I, uh, I, I have the claim to fame of being probably one of very few people who've won a radio contest while on the air at another radio station. <laughs> Okay, so that, this yeah. is a good prank. Or- okay, so I was in college at Fanshawe College in London, Ontario, Canada, and, and uh, we had a 3,000-watt FM radio station there, which was pretty mm. good in 1983 for uh, for college radio, mm. and it was a community station, and so we had to be responsible adults <laughs> on the station. And uh, CJBK, one of the local top 40 stations at the time, was uh, doing a, uh, a contest giving away... IQ 2000 rock trivia. 
and you had to answer a <laughs> trivia question. And the trivia question was, what live song did Paul McCartney take to number one in 1977? Something like that. And, and I just thought, oh, God, that had to be, if there was one, it had to be um, the song from his uh, debut album that he did live on uh, Wings well, Over maybe, America. Like, Maybe I'm Amazed. Maybe I'm Amazed. And, uh, and that was the correct answer. So I... Called up the radio station, I, I got through, told them, and I won the uh, the prize. And I was the disc jockey on this college radio station at the moment that this happened. So let me ask you, why were you listening to CJBK while you were somebody, on the air? Somebody busted into the control room and said, hey, does anybody know uh, what live uh, McCartney song was number one in 1977? And you stole his, his ticket stole, stole his thunder, stole yeah. his uh, game, but I, yeah, I earned it. The way I figured it. <laughs> you did, you did so I'm did. wondering why anybody who was working at the college radio station at the time was actually listening to another yeah, station. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to know. God, I, I should have been, wow. should have been on the ball I'm there. Off, I could have had going them off track. Wow, <laughs> I could have <laughs> had them tossed, taking his prize away. Yeah. Oh, congratulations, by the way. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, the guy's a winner. Why are That's you shooting right. him right. down? You're right. It, it's funny because <laughs> I was my first uh, radio gig was a small market in Nova Scotia, and uh, and I used to listen to Q104 in Halifax when I was working at this, and and I would I would take part in their on air contest and all kind of using a different name, and uh, and when I went to work at Q104 the very first day, I went to work in the big city of Halifax. I uh, stopped at the front desk and picked up a, a number of different prizes that I'd won. <laughs> I had to collect them. Amazing. <laughs> Mostly That's albums. Good. Stickers. Yeah. So you went to you grew up in Toronto and then you went to college in Nova Scotia? Or? Yeah, it, yeah, I was from Nova Scotia. I lived in Ontario for a bit and, oh. and then went back to Nova Scotia as an adult back home. Yep. You have the home. small town vibe. Yeah, that's right. Wow. It's not a small town. It's not, it is not a small town. Well, Halifax? Oh, yeah. 400,000 people. It's, it's not a small town. I mean, it's a all right. mid-sized It's city. as big as Nova Scotia has. That's the best we can do. <laughs> yeah. Okay, wait. So every, you s- every time he says Nova Scotia, I think of locks. So how is the salmon? Yes, that's, that's right. That's funny because, because we that's all I know about Nova Scotia. I was telling somebody that, uh, you know, just on this trip out to California, because you'll see on the menus, especially in New York City, it's like Nova Scotia locks mm-hmm. everywhere you go. It's like, we don't call them that. <laughs> I didn't know that's where they came it? from. Well, Locks. salmon, <laughs> I guess, yeah. you know, the smoked salmon. I, I don't know. We just never hear that term. It's like the same as in, I'm sure they don't call them French fries in France. That's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. How is, what is the fishing industry like? Or is that the... It's, uh, it's uh, still booming, I think. Okay. Yeah, you from, think? You haven't gone on... Uh, it's not really my... <laughs> that sounds like a good radio <laughs> promotion. I'm in. I'm in the music biz. <laughs> But there's lots of fishing boats and uh, lots of lobster traps and stuff like that. And there's uh, plenty of uh, beautiful big uh, granite rocks and things and lighthouses and stuff. And that's what you come to see in Nova Scotia. So come on out and see it. I'm doing a tourism bureau commercial. Might as well. Mm. Um, Going back to what you said, what makes you think when when you hear Nova Scotia? Yeah. What do you think makes me, when I hear a song... Carly Simon, you're so vain. As you know, that's one of my favorite songs of all time. You know, I don't. What's the lyric? I, I'm trying to. I'm sure once you say it, I'll immediately remember it. Flew your Learjet up the Nova, Nova Scotia, Scotia to see, see the, the total eclipse of the sun, sun. which Were was you about. Way you know what? There were two consecutive total eclipses visible in Nova Scotia in, two, in 71 and 72. Apparently, it was the, the 71. Uh, total oh. eclipse, and I remember them. I was a I was a kid then, uh, still living in Nova Scotia, and uh, and that's the one. It was the seventy one eclipse that made its way into the lyric for for that song. That's wow. See? Because seventy two would have been too late for the recording of the. That's that's the way it says online. Anyway, that's I'm going to believe that. I believe you. I <laughs> sure, believe comes you. from an authority right there. <laughs> he was there from the uh, the music savant. There you go. That's right. The idiots. You got to take that out. I'm not sure if that is. That's quite all right. Don't worry. About it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> sometimes I leave it in. Yeah. Sometimes I take it out. It depends on how I feel at the time. <laughs> so, but that is that is my and that I want that on the spot. Sorry, no, pointing. That, that's great. As the long Spotify as we, plays we, my we got, my favorite song. We got to keep them singing somehow. <laughs> is that the one you were thinking of? Is that the song yeah, you were thinking? Of? That okay. is one of my favorite yeah. songs of all time. Yes. Yeah, Nova Scotia doesn't show up in a, a lot in a lot of uh, internationally known lyrics, but uh, it started to show up on TV shows and movies and that. And there yeah. are people I know who every time that Nova Scotia or uh, Halifax get mentioned on a TV show or, or in a movie theater and, and they hear it, they'll stand up and applaud. You know, so <laughs> we find that fun. Yeah, you've told me in the past some of the, some movies that have been shot there. Oh, yeah. And, yeah oh, yeah. It's no, beautiful. Been, yeah, the, the, it had quite a vibrant 
uh, movie industry for a while in the 90s and 2000s. And then the government, you know, a few years ago, the government came in, took away a tax break that uh, cheesed everyone off and kind of reduced the amount of shooting happening down there. That is cheesed a, everyone off. That, I was about to say, <laughs> that <are>. is such <laughs> a... <laughs> Like a mich- my, I have relatives from Michigan. They say mm. cheesed off. I don't, I don't think hear that here. I don't think I've ever said that in my life. <laughs> I'm speaking a, a different language for podcast uh, territory or something. I don't know. So you started in college radio? Yeah. Okay. What was the school? Fanshawe College, London, go, Ontario. Fighting, go fighting tigers? Go the Falcons? Oh, come on. Fanshawe. Fanshawe was not Falcons. much into the, uh, the uh, competitive sports. It really wasn't a big <laughs> deal there. It, maybe it is more now. I, I last time I was at the college a few years ago, things had really grown up, and and I think they take those things more seriously now. <laughs> at what, the time, it didn't really matter. Give a shout out the call letters. Oh so, well, six um, X FM. It's, it's all in Canada. All the call letters begin with C, right? So six mm-hmm. X was C I X X FM. That was the three thousand water, and then we had a little closed circuit thing in this in the school called CFRL. So, yeah. Sounds I, like kicks to me. It was the rock of Fanshawe. <laughs> CFRL. And we went to Chum and got the Chum in Toronto. Got the big AM top 40 disc jockeys mm-hmm. at Chum to do uh, IDs for us. CFRL, the rock of Fanshawe. You know, <laughs> How big nice. is Fanshawe? It's grown exponentially, but I, I really have no idea. A few thousand people. But it, uh, when I saw it last time at a reunion a few years ago, it was like, holy crap. This thing's massive now compared with what it was back then (laughs) (laughs) all right so you start they had a great radio program and a lot of really uh respected uh radio broadcasters so a lot of you went off to big careers from yeah yeah even in uh, my class as a matter of fact you know jeff woods yeah hosts uh jeff and i moved down to nova scotia together coming out of uh fanshawe um he took a job at q104 i was offered the same job and I went down to Bridgewater instead. Uh, <laughs> did you? Yeah. Did, you <laughs> did he know you had you were offered the same job? Well, he was kind of uh, being kept on the uh, the line with uh, Q107 in Toronto, right out of college, and he was being oh. uh, kind of courted there at the same time as he was keeping brother Jake, bro Jake, <laughs> one of the best known uh, you know longtime morning guys, and he was then the program director and morning guy at Q104 in Halifax. He was kind of keeping Jake waiting. Jake, meanwhile, asked me about coming, and I said, I've already accepted this other job, although I would have loved to. In, in nine months later or seven months later, I was I was there. But um, uh, but Jeff has become kind of internationally known for his uh, uh, syndicated show, um, uh, which, uh, you know, of course, the title uh, would be right there on the tip of my tongue. I know. I only know Legends of Classic of Rock. Legends of Classic Rock. And for all kinds of specials and stuff he's done over the years, he's interviewed all the, the bigs in uh, in the radio business. The only one that he hasn't had, I think, that he wants to have, I interviewed. And he hates me for that. Which was who? Paul McCartney. So, uh, all right. So what do you, okay. Mm. We're talking Paul McCartney. What is the question that you, of course, everyone thinks of, mm. I need to ask him something that he's probably, that I hope he's never, never heard be, before. That's never been asked before. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be the one original interviewer who's going to say something that's just going to throw him for a loop. And your question was. I didn't necessarily want to throw him for a loop, but I, I had about uh, two hours to prep for this thing. And, and oh, wow. For that's, a, yeah. a lifetime worth of uh, right. preparation. But I, I, uh, at the time, it was about a week after the death of Michael Jackson. So I was the first electronic uh, media mm. person to interview him since the death of Michael Jackson. So I did ask him about that, and he gave us some really interesting quotes. So we kind of parlayed that into a to an International Wire story. But uh, the other thing was that I didn't want to ask him about all the women in his life, which at the time, 11 years ago, was uh, mm. a big, big deal because he was just had just gone through the divorce and all that, and and so I thought I'd ask him instead about the men in his life, and and I, I think the best question I I think I asked him was, did you spend so much time with George Harrison and show him so much kindness, uh, in the last days of his life, um, because you felt it was incumbent upon you to make up for. You know, the way your your behavior around John Lennon's death was sort of misinterpreted. You know, the whole quote of, uh, yeah, it's a drag. And uh, he said, no, no, he really felt that his relationship with George was at a position, was at a point where he was truly his little brother and, and that he cared and would do whatever he, he could. He said he, he didn't think, he, he never thought of it from the standpoint of how, how was he going to be perceived, you know, the way he was misperceived uh, after John's death. Yeah, that was a misquote too. That with Paul McCartney. I mean, if you, you know, that was just like a pull quote. I, I always remember that mm. it's a drag, but 
you know, yeah. like every yeah. interview, you see like the full thing. Like, yeah. oh, he was he was in pain. Oh, he was. He was. Yeah. And I think what also what happened there was he had, was just leaving a studio, and I think he was sufficiently high that mm-hmm. he didn't really know exactly what he was saying or being asked, and and what was going on in the world at that moment. So he just said what came to his mind was, oh, it's a drag, man. Huh? I gotta take a break. You always have to take a break. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Why can't we get through this thing? Hello, one one shake. All right, let's stop it. We're gonna stop it right here, and we'll be right back. Welcome back. We're with J.C. Douglas. Excellent. Let's start it up. So you start at, with these humble beginnings, this overnight, and then how, mm-hmm. how do you land the big time gig, uh, this uh, morning show? <laughs> is well, it a morning show or they call it a breakfast show? Or what breakfast they- show, morning show, yeah. Um, uh, the thing is, I, I worked my way into the afternoon show at Q104, and I stayed there for like 11 years, and then I went off and did television for a while. Uh, got hired back to, uh, to Q104 as program director, so wanted to run the show, and I did for 14 years, and uh, kind of got all of that out of my system, and then uh, had to go do something. <laughs> so I figured... The part that I liked the most was being on the air, so I went and did afternoons at a uh, at a classic hit station for a couple of years, then got the uh, offer at the uh, Adult Top Forty to do breakfast there with all the, with a couple of people who had been our sworn enemy at Q one hundred four. You know, so it was a really different thing. I mean, I liked them as people; they were, uh, you know. Uh, one of them, in fact, had come to one of my weddings, mm. and uh, you know that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it was it was different doing a show with multiple people and and getting to know these people who were people I'd competed against. But uh, well, it is a different format. Like Q one hundred four is like a rock station, mm-hmm. probably like uh, you know. I, I visualize it like a WKRP type of <laughs> scenario. Well, in, yeah, in many ways, it probably was in its early days, but uh, it was uh, it was you know think KLOS. Really, I mean, not a lot different. Uh, mm-hmm. At least when I heard KLOS last, but uh, um, a mix of contemporary rock. Still, they're still yeah. playing a lot of just male rock. machismo type stuff, and then yep. and then you move along and, and classic rock as yeah. well in there. But uh, and still play music of all eras from like you know the '60s through through today. What was your tag? What was what was Q? Uh, <laughs> in the early days, it was the Rock of the Atlantic, which was very cool. Uh, and today, for the last 20 year, years or more, it's just been classic rock. Or no, not classic rock. Uh, the home of rock and roll, Q104. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Why'd they switch it? Rock of the Atlantic. You know what? They revived <laughs> that tagline for an evening network show they do out of, out of the station in Halifax now. So they uh, have a five station network show that they call the Rock of the Atlantic now. We always tried to revol- revive it for different things because we all liked it. Is it is a good. Uh, yeah, the Rock of the Atlantic. All right. So you said get it out of your system as a PD. What, is, what yeah. did you, I mean, what were the pros and cons of being uh the Andy Travis of the station. You know what? It's uh, it was I was in the last wave of programming before social media got to the point where if you were doing anything really outrageous promotionally um, that would offend, you know, people, the moral majority, the moral minority, they would uh, mm-hmm. they would instantly put together a social media boycott of your sponsors. So we got to the point where we would get about two weeks before they'd be able to generate enough uh, uh, names on the petition. Yeah, <laughs> to, to really get to the sponsors. And that would give us just enough time to get the promotion done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so so like now names. it's instant. Now, if you do something uh, really crazy, they uh, they'll just instantly, uh, you know, be marching into your office with placards and into into the car dealerships and stuff like that. Okay, yeah. what was one of the promotions that would have <laughs> raised uh, oh, such God. a oh, the ruffling oh, of the fan? So many that we did. I am the, shocked that yeah. you would do such a thing. Well, we borrowed from the best. I'm sure we borrowed some uh, KLOS stuff. And uh, there was a station out in Edmonton called The Bear that was doing a lot of really <laughs> crazy mm-hmm. stuff. Um, I think the 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 wildest might have been uh, BJ, our morning guy, BJ's um, toughest contest, which just gave people a variety of different challenges to do for $25,000 cash prize in the end. Like if, you know, we'd have maybe 15 people who'd qualify for the $25,000 and one of them would, would win it after doing one of these crazy things. The only, it's funny because we got them to do some insane stuff, some just pretty 
horrible things. But the uh, <laughs> the only one that I can remember somebody not being able to accomplish, like everyone, everyone would say yes to whatever you tossed at mm-hmm. them. I mean, I, I even hesitate to give you an example because they're so sordid. <laughs> but... Uh, you can you can edit it out if of you course. want. Uh, well, well, remember remember the era too. Um, so. Yeah. Well, this is um, God. We're talking about the late two thousands. Oh. Yeah. Okay. You didn't do a yeah, hold that. your Wii contest, did you? No, that <laughs> happened in California, didn't it? Yeah. Radio had uh, had uh, had to learn from that one. Yeah. Uh, because someone died there. I yeah, right? yeah. drank too yeah. much water and and, and died. Ugh. So we had to be very careful about what we did while still being as outrageous as possible. Um, we had. Uh, one of the guys give his father a prostate exam. Oh, God. Yeah, it was awful. Um, <laughs> and you were there for it? I was not. Oh, really? And it was okay Spring. that I was a little late getting into work that morning. Um, <laughs> Intentionally. Uh, the one, only a couple did our head office <laughs> say that we couldn't do. One, um, oddly enough, was um, paper cutting all of the webbing in their fingers and their toes. <laughs> because <laughs> cause apparently they didn't want anyone, us, to inflict pain on anyone. They also wouldn't let uh, <laughs> let us <laughs> make one of our contestants <laughs> drink, <laughs> drink a cup of their own pee. Go figure! <sighs> but the bear did that in Edmonton, yeah. That was, that was classy stuff. Um, we talk about radio and why kids don't listen to the radio anymore. <laughs> Well, listen, I'm telling you, this is, you know, it was all underscoring the uh, the brand of outrageousness and, yeah. and irreverence. The, the that, thing is, nothing of this was videotaped, right? I mean, did Oh, you, yeah. Were you? Were you <laughs> oh, sure we did. You yeah. did? Okay. And then mm. where'd you... Oh, because it was late 2000. So it wasn't like... Yeah. This wasn't in the... Uh, it was all put on online to some extent. Okay. So this was... Yeah. yeah this was... I mean, certain internet. things were probably... So you can search for pixelated. it. Yeah. yeah. Search for it. Yeah. There's probably still stuff up there. Like um, the prostate, prostate exam pixelated? I would think so. I would think so. I, it's hard to remember, but uh, wow. uh, but the only thing uh, that somebody couldn't do of all the uh, challenges that were accepted was uh, eat an ice cream cone full of like a one scoop of um, wasabi oh. in an hour. Oh, yeah, it's the person couldn't get anywhere near it. It's like yeah, a just gallon of, do it. Gallon of oh. milk or wasabi or the yeah. cinnamon test. They were, those were all yeah. things. And f- frankly, yeah. if they had eaten the, uh, the ice cream scoop of wasabi in an hour, they probably would have followed the person who was holding their wee oh, into uh, a sure death. <gasps> Good times. Mm-hmm. So this is great stuff. Go radio. This has a lot to do with 80s music. <laughs> I'm t- it's, this is your life. I don't know. <laughs> Some might say this is more interesting than 80s music. Okay. You might. All right. You might. All right. So then let's go back. Let's go. Uh, okay. So you bought Foreigners Double Vision. Yeah. Um, let's go to a concert. Did, uh, what was your first concert that you remember? Concert, maybe yeah. maybe with the, with the, you know, in high school or with yeah. your, not just with your parents going to Donny Osmond or whatever. Yeah. We didn't. We I never didn't. saw him. Okay. So. Now, in Ontario, when I was going to college, I, when I was going to um, high school, we lived on Lake Huron. Um and so we were getting FM stations from uh, across in Saginaw, yeah. Michigan, across the lake. I know the station isn't the same anymore, but uh, 96 WHNN, the rockin' best. Yeah, hmm. that, was, uh, that was an early rock radio influence. But uh, but a lot of, we didn't get any uh, you know rock concerts up that way. We had to go to Toronto, uh, which is about a three-mile drive. Mm. Three-mile three drive. Mi- Three-hour three drive. drive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was going to say. Three mm-hmm. whole miles. God, mm-hmm. yeah. Three miles. I make a uh, living it's cana- off this. It's uh, Canadian miles. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah, right. that's right. What's the conversion? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 1.6 kilometers. So it was, uh, yeah, it was about five kilometers <laughs> to uh, Toronto. Uh, Three-hour drive. And uh, so I think the, the very first big one for me was Bob Seger and Loverboy Ooh. in uh, August of 1980. That's a good one. It was. It was great. Uh, it was the, the best of uh, Michigan, the best of Canada, right there. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Good, that's right. It was yeah, and West Coast of Canada. It was a, the Against the Wind tour, and uh, the first time I'd seen a really, I'd seen a couple of bigger concert. Actually, the first big concert I ever attended was in Halifax when I was there on uh, vacation. But it was just one of those concerts on the hill on Citadel Hill in Halifax. Mm-hmm. I was telling you about nice big production, but it was all local acts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, so seeing Seeger and and this brand new band that nobody knew, but I had. seen the Loverboy album on the Chum FM charts, mm-hmm. and I heard of these guys and knew nothing about them. But uh, so that was yeah, August of nineteen eighty. Eighty. I think I may have seen them the same year. I saw them open for Journey. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Where? Might have been 79. At the Forum. Oh, the fab, cool. When it was the Fabulous the Forum. The Fabulous Forum. Yeah. Still, right. It's back oh. to being the Fabulous Forum. Yeah. Is that what it's ca- oh, they're yeah. calling it now? Yeah, okay. it's still huh. the Fabulous Forum. The Jack Kent Cook days. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's converted now to, it used to, you know, the Lakers used to play, right. and the Kings mm-hmm. used to play there, but yeah. um, now they've converted it just to uh, only concerts, and it's, it's a great place to oh, go cool. to a it's show. It's the best. Yeah, it's really I, nice. I've never been inside the, <gasps> the Fabulous Forum, yeah. Mm. Been to the Staples Center for a hockey mm. game. Thank you, Holly. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's right. Who's your team? Well, you probably grew up with the Nordiques, right? The Nordiques. <laughs> <laughs> they come back Nordiques. Uh, well, they they joined the NHL out of the fledgling WHA uh, in 1979, so I didn't have a early history with the uh, Nordiques, and, and they've been gone since 95. They went to Phoenix, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, they begin the Phoenix, <laughs> hockey the talk. Arizona or Phoenix we, Coyotes. I'm, I'm sorry, our podcast has changed. We're now a uh, <laughs> hockey, hockey talk. Hockey we're gonna, talk. We're going to talk about every subject other than 80s music. <laughs> uh, but uh, so but no, I was a Bruins, a Boston Bruins fan from the earliest uh, days. My dad was in the Canadian Navy. That's why he wound up on the east coast of Canada. And he used to, they used to sail down to Puerto Rico. I think on the way they'd stop in uh, Boston and get uh, really cheap booze uh, and and pick up the uh, the Bruin team. On the Cape Scott, the uh, HMCS Cape <laughs> Scott back in 1967. I got photos of all the, the Bruins on the ship back oh, in uh, Bobby Orr's cool. rookie year and stuff like that. Oh, so, nice. yeah, so they became my uh, my team. Also, the Toronto Maple Leafs just, you know, kind of grew up in that area. So there you yeah. go. They have to. It's what, that. So you alluded to like, uh, I mean, there there's some bleed through of uh, American radio. Did you mm-hmm. w- did you prefer American radio or was it oh, you had to, or was it, what, what was you, what were you listening to? Or you know what, what was the most attracted, attractive I, to you? Uh, because uh, the first radio station I really took notice of other than, you know, when I was, when we were living in Halifax and I was a, a child, you know, that's the station. My sister would, uh, CJCH in Halifax would play all the uh, Donny Osmond records and stuff like that. <laughs> but uh, when I moved to Ontario, it was just in 73, that was the, uh, the boom time for a station called CKLW in Windsor, Detroit, Windsor, Ontario, Detroit, Michigan. And, uh, it was a legendary AM top 40 station that at night would hit, they said it hit 38 states and three Canadian provinces. And, uh, uh, it truly was bigger than I had any awareness of when I was listening to it as a kid, but they played, they had to play Canadian content, which since 1970 was like 30% and is now 35% or 40% or whatever you're your particular uh, promise of performance reads. But um, imagine playing in 1970, playing 30% Canadian music, Mm -hmm. especially for a very competitive top 40 station in American markets. It was a tough road to hoe, but uh, um, CKLW made it work. And uh, for, you know, most of the seventies, we're riding high in uh, not only number one in in, uh, Detroit market, but also in Cleveland. And, uh, you know, they had a real strong audience pull and the best air personalities and, they were CKLW, I think, of KHJ. Was mm. in oh, absolutely. So, and the so same Johnny Mansinger's uh, jingles and stuff. 93 <laughs> KHJ, CKLW. Yeah. Same thing. Okay. So who is your, who is the, the radio guy, the God that uh, probably had like the pipes, pipes of God mm. who, who talked at CKLW? Oh my God. Brother Bill Gable. There we go. Who, uh, in 74, I remember my sister uh, showing me in the, uh, the back page of a Tiger Beat magazine. He was the uh, DJ of the month. Brother Bill Gable, 1974 from CKLW, and uh, and it was like, wow, I love that guy. And um, did he look wait, like she, what you thought he would? Not look like? in the least. What? He's a, That's a radio shocking. Guy. <laughs> the other thing too at CKLW is a real uh, mix of uh, black and white music that was unheard of, and definitely on most of Canadian top forty at the time. Um, they were really R and B oriented as well as rock, and uh, it was. It, it worked like none other had previously worked in, in the Detroit market. They really brought in uh, a wide swath of listener mm-hmm. that helped them get to number one in that market. And all the uh, disc jockeys, with the exception of Walt Baby Love, uh, back in the late 60s. I, I worked with Walt. I worked with Walt. No. Oh, really? You did too. Oh, wow. He was a consultant for uh, when I did this uh, satellite radio thing. He did. Uh, he was the R&B guy. He helped oh, us cool. out. Yeah, he was at Westwood oh, One. He was and the... R&R. He, worked, he wrote for R&R. Oh, right, of course. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, with the... The exception of of Walt Baby Love, who I mean, I just want to call him Baby Love, but you you know Baby Love, mm-hmm. but you only ever hear it as Walt Baby Love. Um, but he, I think, was the only black announcer they ever had at so. CKLW. They all sounded black, and they were all like white guys. Half of them were from Canada. Well, most of the best ones, I hate to say it, were from the states. 
Uh, Bill, <laughs> Bill Gable was from <laughs> Philadelphia, I think, and Pat Holiday. You you know yeah, Pat Holiday yeah. became a big uh, player in uh, Canadian radio mm-hmm. as a as an executive, and I've gotten to know some of these guys. I even hired Bill Gable. Uh, for one of the stations that I was uh, overseeing in Halifax to do uh, image voice stuff. And the first time I was on the phone with him, it was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I was like <laughs> I was like Chris Farley in the, an SNL sketch. Yeah. You know? I'm calling him to talk about, you know, hiring him to do voice work. And I'm like, do you remember the big eight? Oh, my God. And uh, yeah, and every year at CMW, I'd find myself on an elevator with uh, alone with Pat Holiday for some reason, year after year after year. And I only had, I only just wanted to talk to him about CKLW and the glory years. And he'd look at me like, "What is wrong with you, man?" But no, they were great guys. And uh, yeah, these are some of the names that I worshipped. Fanboy, fanboy. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so because of this thirty or forty percent Canadian mm. uh, rule, were there songs that you grew up loving, mm-hmm. and then you? suddenly discover nobody else knows these songs well south of the border that's right yeah uh tons tons even in the early uh, years of the 70s when the canadian music scene or music industry had not fully developed yet a lot of people would say oh it wasn't ready for prime time in 1970 and they're right i mean there were a few canadian acts that would have made it on that did make it onto american radio then at the time the guess who um joni mitchell neil young and and offshoot you know, bands of his and Gordon Lightfoot had some, you know, these are the Canadian artists that everyone knows from back in those days. But really, uh, it was, it was hit and miss, but, uh, but there's all kinds of little Canadian pop ditties from that era that, that I would know that you wouldn't know them that I love because they have that same misty memories of, of any of the other cheesy pop songs of the day. Like who, for example? Well, she wants you to sing some more. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, geez, it won't mean anything to you if I pick the really small ones, but, uh, but, but some of we them. We don't care. Just sing the well, song. We want, did, yeah. We'll, we'll yeah. let you know if it was a hit, if it should have been a hit. Rate a record. Some of them did bust through, like, uh, like, um, Terry Jack's Seasons in the Sun yeah. mm-hmm. became a number one hit in the States. And he had previously had uh, this little, he and his wife, Susan, had this poppy family thing that had some Canadian poppets, but, but it was CKLW more than any mm-hmm. other right. entity that, that made these hits in the States because they were playing them and getting this huge listenership in, in the Midwest. Uh, and they would all go to their local record store and say, where's the newest poppy family record? And like, we don't have it. And then they'd find it. Oh, you're listening to CKLW. Oh, we got it. And then they'd start shipping, you know, the American record companies became aware of, of the influence and, and started to stock the, the stores with some of these Canadian artists. Canada's get great gift to the United States. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Terry Canada. Jackson, and the Poppy family. Yeah. yeah sorry about yeah. that. Seasons in the sun is, uh, yeah. is your responsibility. You. <laughs> Come on. It's yeah. on you, Canada. <laughs> ah, that's right. Now there are many, many great gifts, including, I know you're, you're a fan, Dave, of, of some particular Canadian oh. artists. <laughs> well, just because Go for my, it. well, my last name is Sloan. Oh, gee whiz. <laughs> well, there's a Halifax band. Yeah. And I was just looking at the, uh, they just announced their tour, uh, just an updated tour. And, you know, you see in, uh, they're, they're touring the U.S. Yeah. And it's just clubs, 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 yeah. clubs, clubs. And then they come to Canada and it's theaters, amphitheaters like mm. these, you know, now they, they, you know, they play the big time. But, you know, yeah. in, in the U.S., they just never, uh, that was one of the bands. That, yeah. That never happened. Yeah. It's funny because those are oh, great guys. And I've been, um, I've known them forever uh, because their early, early days were like 91, 92. Yeah. And we were, we were covering the local scene there a bit with Q104. I, I'd like to think that in the late 90s when I became program director, I put a much more concerted effort into covering the local scene. And it was really strong at that time. Like we had some uh, artists who were worthy of, uh, of more airplay in, in various, uh, I mean, we ended up being able to foster a few bands like, um, the trues and, uh, winter sleep and, and Matt Mays and El Torpedo and, and Joel Plask, the Joel Plaskett emergency into bands that were getting cross Canada mm-hmm. play, but not too many of them got, uh, got much, uh, and then yeah, we have no. American interest. Yeah, like the Tragically Hip was another band. Well, see, now there's a and really that, interesting mm-hmm. uh, example. There's the one that became the Tragically Hip are gods in Canada. Mm-hmm. So much bigger than so many of the bands that you would know that are Canadian. Um, in Canada, you couldn't touch them. And in the States, you couldn't. 
you know, they couldn't get arrested. It was interesting. It came down to in 94 or 95, Dan Aykroyd, uh, said okay to SNL. He'd come and host the show for the first time. He's from Kingston, Ontario, mm-hmm. a tragically hipper from Kingston, Ontario. And he said, one one thing that has to happen is I have to have the tragic, tragically hip on as my musical musical guest. And they said, sure, no problem. <laughs> they came on the first song. They they were on a their fourth album, the fir- fourth full album, Day for Night at the time. And um, it wasn't their strongest album. Their first three full-length albums were among the best albums ever recorded in rock history. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Like, l- listen to them, go find them, listen to them. Uh, fully, completely, uh, Road Apples and Up to Here. Three of the greatest rock albums you'll ever hear. Uh, New Orleans is Sinking from uh, Up to Here is one of the best rock songs ever recorded. Uh, the, f- the fourth full album, Day for Night, was you know, not quite as commercially uh, on, on the money. And uh, they played... Yeah, they played. I think they played "Greasy Jungle," the first song off that one. And it was like, eh, it's like this mid-tempo sort of thing, and it just didn't go over. And the band, I don't know if they found felt much of an appreciable bump, yeah, uh, from their appearance on Saturday Night Live. But it was, uh, and and so they never had opportunity knock at that level again. But they continued to have this incredible, uh, you know, career in in Canada. And uh, Gord yeah. Downey, the lead singer, died mm-hmm. uh, a year or so, a little more than a year ago, and it's like it was a Canadian. Like, it was yeah. like Kobe passing, I think. It yeah. was just kind of like that. Yeah. I mean, all it of Canada really was. seemed to be... Because we knew he was sick, and he did. He toured when he was sick with cancer, brain cancer, the same cancer that Neil Peart just died of uh, from Rush. Um, another guy whose death really rocked um, the country. But unlike Neil, Neil Peart died very quietly and had, had his cancer battled it for about three years. Gord Downey was anything but quiet during the time when he was battling his uh, cancer. And he recorded some really interesting projects of his own and, and did a tour with Tragically Hip. And uh, so the country just fully embraced him through this whole time. And when he finally died, it was very sad, but we knew it was coming. I'm not familiar. I'm I'm not so familiar with the Tragically Hip, but I do remember when he died and how it, it did seem yeah. like it was taken the way, like you said, Kobe or Neil Peart, which mm. here too. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure the reaction here was, this, you know, mm-hmm. the same as Canada. Yeah, yeah. I was a I was a massive massive Rush fan. I am a massive Rush fan. Yes, um, you are. You, you kind of have to be right when you grow up there. It's well, uh, it's you know, kind it's, of in, in your blood. I remember a kid back in high school or in geez, elementary school trying to get me to listen to Rush, and it just wasn't my cup of tea. I was more into the Bee Gees at the time. and uh, <laughs> Nothing wrong. And no, then, when did, you, when did you get on board with Rush? Uh, you know, in the backseat of a muscle car that my, uh, my future brother-in-law, my, my sister's longtime husband, would, uh, was driving, and he was cranking out, you know, the Moving Pictures album. And, um, it wasn't a red Barchetta you were? It wasn't. <laughs> a brilliant red Barchetta. <laughs> um, but uh, as a matter of fact, I've, a friend of mine who lives in... St. Catharines, which is where Neil Peart is from, St. Catharines, Ontario, once took me on a tour of, like a driving tour of the area, showing me the Neil Peart haunts, all to the tune of Red Barchetta, and as he goes across the one-lane bridge that's referenced, that he's timed it so that we're going across that bridge at the same moment, and then pulled up to the house that the white-haired uncle uh, owned and waited, and uh, and we're pulling up right in front of that house at that time. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. And also, we're in the area is Lakeside Park, you know, which is also a reference from an earlier Rush album. And uh, Neil lived one door down and across the street from where my uncle and his family uh, lived for many, many years. Not at the same time, but I always thought it was kind of cool that Neil Peart lived yes. right there. Yes. Did yeah. you ever, ever get to talk to the boys? I did. Well, we did an uh, interesting thing um, in 1986 when I was brand new at uh, Q104 in Halifax. We uh, <laughs> It's funny because I'd heard uh, the fellow who hosted our 6 o'clock rock report Talking about, oh, Rush isn't coming to Halifax on this tour. And for a Canadian band, that was, hmm. <laughs> and they hadn't been there since 1980. So a big six years since they'd last a- appeared in uh, Halifax. And uh, he said, we should start a petition or something. And I asked him, you know, a couple weeks later, it came mm-hmm. to mind. I said, you know, you were talking about that petition campaign. He said, oh, no, it would be way too much work. And, and I, I talked him into doing it and, and the two of us, uh, did it and it was way too much work. Mm. And it took us a couple of months and we raised 
you know, 24,000 signatures, which probably doesn't sound like a lot, but at the time in Halifax, that was a, that was a lot. 400,000 people. That's a good Well, percentage. and it was really genuine because we went everywhere to get these. We went to all the clubs and the, in the schools and all over the province and in neighboring provinces. And, uh, they agreed. Uh, we had a lot of TV, uh, coverage out of it, national coverage and stuff like that, which you never would get today for something like that. I don't think. Uh, and, uh, the band, we were in touch with their, uh, Ray Daniels and the folks at RS, not RSO, that's Robert Stigwood, SRO. And they agreed, uh, to start their next tour there. And they opened with a series of concerts in Atlanta, Canada. So that was very cool. Look at that. We got to, we got to meet them and, and hang out backstage with them for a few hours. And it was like, like, oh my God, I couldn't believe it. Died and gone to rush heaven. It Did really was amazing. Neil engage with you at all? A little bit, yeah. yeah. He doesn't do a lot of backstage yeah. things. Uh, Getty and, uh, Alex were much more, like, I mean, a few years ago in Halifax, we did another backstage, just a quick backstage thing. And Neil, of course, wasn't there for that. As a matter of fact, at the same time, a friend of mine who worked in Halifax radio with me for many years, uh, he and his family, he's been a friend of Neil's since they met in St. Catharines when this fellow was in, in radio in St. Catharines a year before Neil joined Rush. And so... Neil would occasionally come and visit them in Halifax and has even written about staying at their home in one of his books, one of his road books. And uh, it's specifically about their uh, their son who has uh, Down syndrome. And he was talking about how he would make the son would make breakfast for him when he was staying at the place. And it would only be the two of them early in the morning getting up and having breakfast together. And uh, and so uh, a few years ago when they played in Halifax, he had the son who is now grown. He's in his 30s now uh, back to play on his practice kit. Backstage at the <laughs> uh, at the Halifax Metro oh, Center, oh, yeah, great. and there's photos of it as well. And uh, this friend of mine, after Neil died, I'm gonna get emotional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. uh, he he put uh, photos of that up on his Facebook page that he hadn't put up before. Yeah, everyone it was it was encouraged everybody to post their photos. Oh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So That's Neil is is a spectacular. He was a spectacular spirit, a spectacular man. Like just yeah. Did you read all his books? I haven't. I've, I've read passages of them. I haven't read them all. I want to. I'm you saving should. that for retirement. No, yeah. I, I really do want to. I I never have enough time for for reading. But uh, yeah. I'm in the middle of Keith uh, Richards' uh, memoir, and it's fascinating. I'm, I'm about ten years late on that. So still well, good. Ne- yeah, you need to. Mm. You should be retired from Neil Peart. It's a little heady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So you you were talking about being backstage. You ever do a uh, front stage? Like, uh, hey, the band's about to come out. Here All we kinds. Are. All okay. kinds. Now how. How is that? What's that like in front of, uh, you know, I don't know how many. It's very 10, cool. Is it, is it cool or is it like, uh, is it tough? You know? At its best, it can be really super cool. Now, you know what? The two best I ever did, I can say totally without uh, without reservation. One was Sloan. Mm. One was Sloan on a, uh, <laughs> on a New Year's Go Eve. Go Sloan. On a New Year's Eve about maybe 10 years ago or so at, at Casino Nova Scotia. And it was just so much fun. Fun. I had prepared a little thing. I can't even remember what it was. I think I I had put together, strung together a bunch of their titles and lyrics, and just did a rapid fire sort of thing. And they were loving it. And we were like old pals and stuff. And so it was really good. Went over really well. Uh, the other was um, it was Deep Purple at uh, Halifax Metro Center, and this was only about ten years ago too. And it was on. Come on. It was an early February uh, show, and it was the night of the Super Bowl. And uh, so it was a little light. It doesn't light. play in Canada, though, the Super Bowl. It, oh, it does. <laughs> oh, it does. Oh, oh that's interesting. Big oh, I did not yeah. know that. Yeah, it's pretty big. It's funny because I don't <laughs> think it plays around the rest of the world as much as, as no. Americans might think it does. Uh, because people, oh, yeah, it's got this worldwide mm-hmm. audience of 2 billion people. Mm, I think they're lucky if they got the American and the Canadian mm-hmm. audience. I don't know how much bigger the Super Bowl is. They're that. embellishing I, those numbers. Yeah, they could be. <laughs> like other things we were talking about, yeah. But um but I opened uh, I, I did the the show intro for uh Deep Purple that night and there were only maybe about 5,000 people at the Metro Center, which was about half its capacity. Oh. It's about a 10,000 seater. And um and I can't even remember what the lines were, but I had a couple I prepared a few like really snappy lines and they got great laughs when you get Huge mm-hmm. laughs, even from a five thousand person crowd. It's like, whoa! Mm-hmm. That's the 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 rush you don't get on the radio. You never get that live response, right? But you are also you're you're kind of used to being up in front of a live crowd. 
a little bit. I mean, I've done like some local theater and stuff like that, but not. Uh, Are you an actor? A little bit of an actor, a little oh. bit of a singer, but none of those things professionally. You're so. a song and dance man. Song and dance man. Nice. Would you like me to? Would the uh, Would the podcast audience like to watch a little song and dance? Oh, of course. <laughs> yes. I guess you could hear the song, but in not per- the dance. In particular, I think they'd they'd appreciate the full Monty. <laughs> Oh my God! Yes, we did the full Monty. Uh, oh, jeez! Just okay. in the community don't, theater. Don't and, terrify me! Yeah. With, I just met the man. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, I was at my lightest weight at that time—about <laughs> twenty-five pounds less than I do. And we got, yeah, we got naked, and uh, that was bizarre. Um, was this and, for and the, a weekly, a week or a month, or how long was this? We run? did fourteen shows. Nice. And they were sold out. 14 days of naked. Yeah. <laughs> they sold out the day of the opening show. So, in other words, nobody had any idea whether it would be entertaining at all yeah. before they bought a ticket. And uh, all they knew was that there were going to be six middle-aged men naked on stage at some point. <laughs> and really, it's only for like a, a minute or two when it's full nakedness. Yes, but everybody is still, no one's taking their eyes off the stage. <laughs> right. And of course... We, you know, the full on naked part, we're facing the back of the stage. Yeah. And there's only two people who would have seen that every night. One was our um, uh, assistant stage director, who was a uh, a female. The other was the bass player in the band, who was a female. And she was blind. At least at the end of the performances, she was blind. You blinded her. I think yeah. she was blind at you the beginning her. of them. But yeah. You blinded her. That's a, that's a true story. That's great. Uh, were you a theater major in college? No, God, no. This is just community theater. I mean, we're well, not. I don't know. I don't. Hey, Jess, it's no. a big deal. This is waiting for Guffman stuff. You know, oh, this is like. I mean, yeah. that's good stuff. That's a good reference. All right. Um, there's another TV reference. I mean, we talked a little bit about blending of uh, US and Canada, but yes. apparently you were a Letterman fan. Oh, huge. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah. Oh, what well. <laughs> That's yes. funny. Um, I, uh, just because I'm, I like to get attention, I think. Um, <laughs> I, uh, when I finally went to see, I, I loved Letterman since the morning show at, mm-hmm. at, at NBC in 1980. I, I, I remember, um, I got a, a babysitting gig and I was like 15. <laughs> That summer, and I got a babysitting gig with one of the neighbors, and really, I just thought, oh, this is perfect. I can make money and watch the Letterman Morning Show <laughs> at the same time. Uh, a 90-minute show to begin with. He had uh, Edwin Newman in the studio yeah. doing news updates, and so it was awesome. And by 95, I mean, like, he was just my biggest influence and in, you know, my broadcasting career. Although I'd never done TV, I later would do a little bit. But we finally decided, let's get some tickets and go see this guy. And... uh Went to the Ed Sullivan Theater, and I prepared a little... Uh, his big deal... Dave had been a weatherman in Indianapolis, as you may know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he, he once described uh, there having been hailstones the size of canned hams. So his, uh, <laughs> his, his prop du jour was the, uh, the big-ass ham... I don't know if you remember that. I remember this. Of course. Yeah. For, this was like 25 years ago. And uh, I wanted to get my hands on a big ass ham and I wondered, how can I do that? And so we were going <laughs> to, we were going to take some uh, like doctored cans of lobster. It turned out I saw, I go to the store, the superstore in uh, Dartmouth, Nova Scotia and pick up, a, it's like, I can't find canned lobster. Ooh, but there's canned clams and it rhymes. <laughs> this is, must be. Oh, it's a sign from God. It's kismet. Yeah, it's kismet. And uh, so doctored the can to say big ass clams. And uh, <laughs> boy, I'm telling you, it was not easy to get that to David Letterman's attention because the drill sergeants that were the pages that CBS had at the Ed Sullivan Theater were really hell bent on making sure that nobody said anything to Dave. Nobody gave any gifts to Dave. Nothing like that happened. Hmm. We had uh, sweatshirts done up, uh, myself and and my then uh, uh, um, girlfriend, and mine said, uh, "We'll laugh real loud for canned ham," and uh, hers said, "Make mine a big ass, please." And uh, and so the pages saw at one point that we had these shirts on, and said, "Oh, oh no, 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 you can't, you can't do that." Um, he said, "Oh boy," they said, "No, no, you're gonna have to take those off." I said, oh, off, but they're at a, well, turn them around anyway, or turn them inside out, and it, it said, or zip up your jacket. I said, oh, that I can do. I can zip up my jacket for sure, because we can always unzip. Oh, yeah. So in the- These 20-year-olds are not that bright. Oh, my God. 
So when the uh, pages, they're tw- they're interns. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so we're sitting there waiting for the show to begin, and and we had it all worked out. Because if you if you ever hear two voices yelling something together in sync, it sounds like a chorus of voice. One voice is one simple voice. It could be one madman, but two voices is like a choir. And uh, so we had it worked out. Okay. As soon as the moment is right, and he comes out, because we figured he'd come out and talk to the audience, do a little warm-up. I said, I'm going to count. One, two, three. And we both jump up. And when this when this took place, we jumped up, unzipped the uh, jackets, and went, let us show you our shirts! <laughs> Dave looks over, mic in hand, says, what is it, sir? You know, uh, And at that moment, I reached under the seat, into the bag where the doctored uh, can of clams was, and started to walk towards the stage. All our authorities. Oh, my God. He says, He's approaching the stage. Yeah. What have you got there, sir? And uh, you know, he's in, he was in good good humor about it. And I uh, handed it up, and I gave the uh, <laughs> the obligatory line. We drove all the way from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Dave, to give you this your very own can of big ass clams. And uh, then the audience laughed, and he took it and showed showed it off. And and I started to walk back to my seat, and he said, "Oh, here, come back here." And he got from one of the stage hands a, a can of big ass ham turned out it was just i think it was Krakus brand ham it actually wasn't a big ass brand it wasn't even a doctored can but i still cherish that uh, can that's to this so day. cool yeah oh yeah. yeah and in the show this was may 5th 1995 by the way just in, keep your, in case you're keeping track <laughs> cinco de mayo cinco de mayo it was there was a, a giant flying rat for cinco de mayo day um and uh he may, must have made at least 10 or 12 references to the big-ass clams during the show. It really became the running gag of the show. And at one point, he promised the audience, oh, and uh, Hootie and the Blowfish made either their first or second appearance on that show. And he uh, said, you know, Paul, uh, this band was originally known as Hootie and the Big-Ass Clams. <laughs> and uh, and at one point, uh, he, uh, he said to the audience, okay, so we're going to show you this little piece here. Now, if you behave yourselves, we'll crack this uh, can open and we'll pass, a- pass around the big-ass clams. And at the end of it, and while the piece was playing, we looked at the desk, and here he was with a can opener opening the can of clams. At the end, he takes a spoonful himself and walks down to the audience and, and starts handing it around. <laughs> I've got this video on my Facebook page. Yeah, is, it's very cool. So May 5th, 1995. May 5th, 1995. Okay. All right. You're going to look it up. I am going and, to. And then, if I may. What? There's more? <laughs> but three or four months later, I was a big, big late night, uh, and still am, late night TV uh, mm-hmm. guy, and uh, Tom Snyder was doing the Late Late Show at the time, and he was running this uh, David Sanborn led uh, theme song, and he was joking that, hey, if anybody's got any lyrics to go with it, and I thought, oh, God. No pressure. I said, no, don't even think about it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> and I'm crossing the McKay Bridge in Halifax one, one uh, afternoon a couple days later, and I thought, oh, I got an idea. Oh, shoot. I'm going to have to do it. And so I... In back in '95, had to, I had to go home, get the theme song put on cassette, go back to the radio station, put it on a reel to reel, lay my vocals down, put it in a package, take it to Pura later, and have it sent off. But four nights later, on the uh, the Tom Snyder Late Late Show, he uh, plays the uh, my my theme song. Can yeah. you sing it for us? It's the Tomorrow Show without the Marlboros. Tom Snyder's back. Tom Snyder's on and look at that. He's smoke free. Perspiration drips from his upper lip. But gosh, Tom, great to have you back on net. Work TV. It was a bunch of inside jokes that he did. He had a lot of things about sweat meetings because of the perspiration on his lip and stuff. And they loved it. So there you go. Look at that. <laughs> that's right. your claim to fame. <laughs> that's claim to fame. <laughs> Never mind all this morning oh, show business yeah. and breakfast oh, TV. Geez, Come on. This is true calling. Oh my God. He's like Bernie Toppin. <laughs> yes. it's, it's much like uh, Zelig, like yeah. we were discussing yeah. uh, earlier. I kind of play whatever role <laughs> matches the people around yeah, You're multi talented. Honest to God. Why don't I make any money? There you go. All right. Well, there's our catchphrase. Why didn't I make any money? Okay, let's, yes. let, let's end the show there. All right. So until next week, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.